So, I know it's a lot of material and um, a lot of detail as well sometimes. Um, <clears throat> so, just to state again the kind of larger trajectory um, or the uh, trajectory of the, the the part of the trajectory we're on at the moment, if you like. Um, we are uh, exploring the uh, an, an opening up the, the possible manifestations of Eros and, and its relation with the imaginal uh, and the whole breadth of what that means and can mean and, and, and the ways it can um, arise. And as well as that, we are also looking at investigating um, and explaining what Eros, when it is open, what Eros will open for us, open to us. Um, and that's uh, connected with our explanation of the uh, what we're calling the soul-making dynamic, the Eros-Psyche-Logos dynamic. And so giving examples, and we'll m- m- move through quite a lot of different examples, <coughs> um, some of them are so-called purely intrapsychic. They may arise in uh, formal meditation practice, um, and some, you know, they relate to our perceptions in the world of the world, of others, of self, of objects, etc. Some are uh, sexual, some non-sexual. It's all, all, all are erotic, and in in discussing the sexual, you know, part of the objective of that is to open up the possible manifestations of Eros, kind of legitimize, open wider what can be um, taken and used validly and powerfully as part of our practice. So we said, uh, briefly, we said that when this soul-making dynamic is allowed, when the Eros, Psyche, Logos, um, Eros, Psyche and Logos are allowed to inseminate each other, uh, to grow, to expand, deepen, uh, enrich, complicate each other in that way, then uh, not just the um, erotic object, the beloved other, is um, is is called, you know, is uh, amplified that way, extended that way, deepened, widened that way, um, but also the self, um, because. As we said, um, subject and object, self and other, if we say, are are always uh, dependent arising together, dependently arising together. So where there's an object, there's a subject. And if I'm focusing on an image or an imaginal perception of another in my life, um, there is both the sense of uh, them as other, as beloved other, but also the sense of self. And oftentimes we miss this. Um, or we don't allow the sense of the self, we don't allow the same soul-making dynamic, the same um, movement and expansion and deepening of eros psychologues in relation to the self as we do in relation to the other. We'll come back to this in terms of, um, sort of diagnostics, if you like, and <coughs> things that can go wrong. But um, Actually, uh, we said also that what dependently arises, we could say uh, for now, is not just this this polarity of self and other, um, subject and object, but uh, if you like, a fourfold meeting, a fourfold co-constellation of self, other, world 
world in general and the eros, so that a particular kind of eros um, gives rise to a particular perception of other, of uh, self, and of world at large, so to speak. And these four, self, other, world, and eros, co-constellate, they're mutually dependent, they're almost like facets of a whole constant uh, of the same whole structure or constellation or soul making um, snapshot if you like that's really the wrong word snapshot but soul making constellation so this means that we begin to perceive ourselves imaginally we begin to see and feel and sense ourself as image the imaginal dimensions of ourself we and then moving in our life we feel that self gradually more and more to have um, more uh, dimensions to it we are just not we are not just the flat uh, the flatly existing um, human being that uh, secular modernism would, uh, would would tell us that we are, despite all that interiority and maybe even the interiority of an unconscious and uh, all that and repressed things um, within us, there is a sense of being perhaps, if you like, um, manifesting many faces um, having within us many imaginal figures, if you like, being uh, many imaginal figures. So there's a dimensionality that opens up through the imaginal practice and through the um, erotics of the imaginal. Um, the dimensionally, dimensionality opens up not just of other, um, but also of self. Um, so, for example, one might be um, have an image that one's practicing with, and perhaps this image has to do with being in a certain relationship with a certain divine figure, this imaginal figure, maybe it's a tantric deity, maybe it's some other kind of god or goddess or, or whatever, and perhaps in the image one is being held by them or resting in their lap or somehow, um, somehow receiving as a human being um, the, 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 their, divini their divine love um, or being held by that particular divinity. So right there what you have in the image is a constellation of human divine. The self feels human and as human receives um, succor or encouragement or nourishment or love or whatever um, infused somehow um, in, in the imaginal through through that divine other, that imaginal figure of divine. Um, and that actually is a very important stage, that human divine, uh, if you like, polarity there. Self as human, imaginal other as divine. But I would say that if you hang out in the image long enough, you start to recognize, um, if you open up the awareness, you start to recognize, oh, the self is also image here in this image. Um, there is imaginal self, and, and because dimensionality is always a part of, of an image in the way that we're using it, um, that the dimensionality of the self in, in this um, image that we have of being in the lap of the god or the goddess uh, the dimensionality of the self starts to open up, starts to expand, and dimensionality moves towards divinity, so that eventually what happens is you have two divinities sitting there, or being together, um, the self and 
and the the divine. And if you like, that's another stage. Um, or, you know, rather than saying it's uh, better or worse, it's just a different stage. It's the kind of, I would say, inevitable movement if we allow the soul-making dynamic to move in every direction. In other words, towards the self in the image as well as towards the uh, the other, the object of which we're usually focusing on oftentimes. Um, it's a matter of not of making anything happening, of ha- making anything happen, but rather of noticing and just being with and allowing something that is a natural, organic movement of the soul of this eros psyche logos dynamic. So then there's all kinds of examples here. Uh, you know, in the example I gave in, in the last talk of the raft um, and the infusion of black blood from the goddess there. Um, and then me going outside and feeling the power and energy in my body from this um, black blood that she had given me, and uh, and then becoming myself a divinity, sensing myself imaginally as a divinity, as this dancing, stomping, powerful, thick-set, muscular uh, god, and somehow. Uh, also in connection very much with nature, receiving that infusion of of the of the blood, the, the the kind of strange divine nectar from nature. So there's this spreading of the um, soul making, spreading of the imaginal, spreading of the erotic, and spreading also in this sense of of the um, of the locus of divinity, if you like, in the faces of divinity. And the same is true in regard to all this when when we're actually dealing with an actual person who has become for us a theophany, whether um, you know whatever their, whatever our actual relationship is with them, whether they're uh, a t- teacher or a guru or a lover or wh- whatever it is, when actually we have an imaginal perception of a person, um, we are also. Uh, imagining ourself in relationship to them. And even if this person isn't yet a divinity for us in that sense, there's not that theophany there, um, we want to see what the image of self um, is and what it can be. So we include the self-image, the image of self, in, in, the, in the constellation, in the imaginal erotic constellation, and we include that and we let it fill out. So eventually ourselves ourself becomes a theophany or plural theophanies we are we are uh, perhaps many theophanies and we get the sense slowly as i said of the self as well as the other as well as the beloved other as well as the object it could be an inanimate object um being infinite that we are infinite and i don't mean here in this kind of practice only i don't only mean we are infinite in the sense that our essence is infinite awareness or infinite love or some of those more universal um, kind of uh, opening or rather openings to a universal um, essence or of oneness etc so that uh, there's you know you can perceive uh, infinite awareness or infinite love being the fabric of the universe and we are the same thing in essence so that therefore I'm infinite I don't just mean that I mean also in the um, infinite in the possibilities of the possible faces, if you like, who um, 
who can come through us, what I used to call the vertical spectrum of the imaginal, but I might drop that word vertical because it has too many uh, loaded connotations. So there's a spectrum of imaginal faces that can uh, manifest, if you like, through another, uh, I can perceive, and through the self, uh, so through myself and through another, and we can get this sense of all that being there as a sort of spectrum of dimensionality that they are, that we are. Um, there's infinite possibilities there in the perceptions of, in this case, of one's own soul, in its particularities. It's not in its universality of just being awareness or love or, or something like that, but in its particularities, in my personhood, um, in my particular manifestations. Uh, so this also, so we said self, other, world, and, and eros. They get co-constellated together. So, so all this applies, this um, movement of the soul-making dynamic to involve and include um, the sense of the world and the sense of eros itself. If, if, the eros psyche logos dynamic is allowed if it's not hindered, if it's not blocked or refused or dismissed um, where it wants to go, uh, etc. If the soul making dynamic is allowed to spread uh, naturally, organically, it will start um, giving dimensionality, giving beauty, depth, all the imaginal richness, and eventually um, even divinity, self, other, world, and eros itself. So when, a few talks ago, I used that term auto-eroticism, and then I said, oh, actually, we'll come back to that as a, as a facet of eros, as something to recognize um, as an aspect of eros, that there was an auto-eroticism that was, if you like, part of eros. What I really meant there was that, um, that <clears throat> what distinguishes, say, um, an experience of excuse me, eros from just an experience of, let's say, meta or meta with imagination. Um, you know, when we imagine uh, the person that we're giving meta to being happy or whatever. And so what distinguishes eros from that, and this is something we'll come back to in, in regards to the distinctions between eros and meta, etc., is that one of the things is that Eros has this auto-eroticism, is, is an aspect to it, meaning that the self is also regarded erotically, is given dimensionality, is attractive in, in that erotic way that we've been talking about, and not just the self, but also the self's eros. So whatever image of erotic connection is, is involved in the imaginal perception of the constellation of self and other, whatever... Um, Eros, that the self is seen imagining to be participating in that connection, whether it's penetration or opening or being penetrated or whatever it is, um, that that um, Eros is also kind of regarded erotically, if you like. So it's a kind of... Um, In other words, that too has dimensions, has beauty. The eros itself becomes um, an erotic object. Our own eros becomes an erotic object for us. So, not just the other, 
also the self and the images of the self, that comes alive. There's eros towards the self because the, the self is a given dimensionality, even imaginal dimensionality. And also the eros that the self feels, etc., is also be- becomes an erotic object, is given imaginal dimensionality. There's this attraction, almost like wanting to taste it, to connect with it, to open to the very eros more. It has beauty, has dimensionality, has divinity. So auto-eroticism, this soul-making dynamic is, is spreading in these different directions to, to, in a way, to touch everything. So in regard to this and the self and, and the sense of the self or the image of the self that's operating at any time, we can say that a desire is not eros when it arises from and when it is serving the kind of narrow habitual um, and solidified self that's perhaps seeking pleasant sensations or seeking a sense of solidity to solidify itself or seeking to aggrandize itself. That kind of desire is more what we call clinging and craving or greed, etc. Um, that sense of self, in, in when it's narrow, habitual, solidified self, seeking pleasure, seeking solidity, seeking aggrandizement, self-aggrandizement, that self is um, sensed as unitary. This is the self, it's the real self, there's one of them, and it's also kind of one-dimensional. It's just, uh, it lacks this imaginal dimensionality, this multiplicity of beings, this sense of um, shading into divinity, of, of emanating from divinity and all that. Uh, it's um, unitary, one dimension, it's also rarefied. There's a sense of, I, I believe in this self, I don't think it's not even an intellectual concept, I believe in the reality of this self, uh, and this one dimensional self and unitary self, and all of that um, in opposition to an imaginal sense of self that's not unitary, that has this spectrum of the imaginal, it's not one-dimensional because of that very spectrum, and it, and it as it says, shades into divinity, or emanates from divinity, or expresses, or is a theophany, and it's seen, it's an image, seeing image as image, so it's not rarefied. Um, so desire that comes out of this narrow, habitual, solidified self is not eros. Imaginal uh, desire can be eros, is eros. The same with the sense of the other, when uh, that other, the the erotic object, is not um, uh, seen as image, is not recognized to be imaginal, to be seeing image as image. We're not seeing images. When the the object is rarefied, we really believe in this real thing. Um, That too uh, is... um, you know, gives rise to to a desire that is greed or craving. So already I'm just, just as an aside to note, you can hear me going back and forth between the sort of small definition of eros as just this wanting of connection and the larger definition which implies the imaginal, implies seeing an image as image, etc. So just keep your ears out for that. Um... Now, oftentimes, of course, just because of what we've been taught and heard so much, we we um, view desire that arises this way. So there is desire, maybe it's sexual desire, maybe it's er- erotic um, desire, and yet we view it as if it's, uh, automatically we assume it's something 
um, a defilement or something bad, and that it's something that the self is doing. So especially if you've been, you know, you've heard enough sort of standard Dharma teachings without enough differentiation in them, um, or interpreted them without enough differentiation, then desire is a movement of the self. It it comes from the self. It's the self that desires. If I somehow had no self, I wouldn't desire, or etc. Desire comes from the self, and desire reinforces the self. And so very often we automatically assume that. Maybe we can slow down a little bit and have a look and sense into this desire and let it let it um, amplify, let it fill out imaginally with the mindfulness, with the sensitivity to the to the resonances, with the energy body, and all that. Because sometimes what happens if we have this larger perspective on what a human being is, is the desire arises from the imaginal figure, from, if you like, the divinity, from the deity. Um, Whose is this desire? Is it just this narrow, flat, unitary self desiring? Um, Or is it actually... um, as William Blake said, a divine influx. Um, where is it coming from? Whose is it? Maybe this desire is from Dionysus, or whatever, or some other imaginal figure that's more personal, less kind of uh, archetypal. But then what happens? This desire arises. I automatically assume something about it. It's from the self, it's a defilement, etc. And maybe that assumption locks into place a certain view, which, as always, the view, the way of looking, shapes um, the perception, shapes what unfolds, and maybe that desire actually becomes craving or greed or clinging, whatever we want to call it in a narrow sense, um, through the very view. You understand? Something to explore, to can only explore this by experimenting. Only explore this by experimenting. What happens if I grant something another possibility, if I enter into another way of looking? What happens? I'm not saying it's easy, and it does, maybe not for everyone, but probably for a lot of people, take, you know, take a bit of practice, really. Uh, it requires certain, certain um, meditative skills and capacities and arts to be developed. But if I experiment... What do I see? What do I uncover? What gets opened up? Okay, so this is saying this Eros Psyche Logos dynamic, this, this weave of soul making, the way the tree of soul uh, grows uh, in different directions organically, the way the fire leaps and catches um, uh, as the fire spreads, the way it does that um, and ignites and sparks other things that, that it catches hold of. Um, and one is, we, we've said it already, the world. So self, other, world. And we, we've been calling this cosmopoesis. So we've talked um, a bit about it um, in other talks and other retreats. Um, that can give can give many many examples I mean, countless examples here. The possibilities again are infinite, infinite. Um, <clears throat> so again, I might give some uh, examples that come specifically out of um, out of a kind of sexual eros that's working in in the imaginal. Um, 
again, just to open up that possibility where we can sometimes be a little shy, a little doubtful. Um, and of course, you know, I'm aware how, uh, as I said earlier, if someone were to just pick up a talk at a certain point and listen, they would how on earth did we get here? Um, but uh, but I really hope you can see how it fits very organically and we're, we're gradually opening certain doors and underpinning them with understandings and meditative skills that make them really fruitful and uh, beautiful and important, I think. So sometimes, uh, so let's go through a few examples. Sometimes, you know, um, either in an imaginal constellation like what I referred to before, we, we, we perceive a kind of imbalance. We feel very human and the, the, it, the other, the imaginal other is, is not human but divine and there's a kind of um, imbalance there. So in a way we feel, um, we might feel somehow less than and that can this pulls on all kinds of psychological structures and, and stuff, and we'll, we'll touch on this. Um, I mean, in a way, sometimes it's just uh, one way of looking. At it, it's just it's just the eropsychologist dynamic has just not opened up enough yet. It's just um, it's mo- it wants to move in every direction towards the self as well as towards the other, but but it just hasn't kind of it's flowed more in one direction before it's flowed in the other direction uh, e- equally or as fully, or it's not being allowed there. Or, We'll come back to this. And sometimes we actually perceive that imbalance in a in a in an actual relationship in our life, human to human, where again there's some kind of perceiving of the other with all their imaginal depth and beauty and perhaps even divinity, etc. And we somehow feel, or at a certain stage, we can somehow feel um, less than or wanting in 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 some in some way. So it's. Uh, you know, relatively common. Um, perhaps we feel we are in love with this person, or with this imaginal figure, or with this um, person imaginally uh, imbued, if you like. Um, but and we can feel that they love us, but they're not in love with us. So there's a there's a kind of dimension missing in the uh, then the dimensions are not equal. Or sometimes we want you know very normal human um, desire to want to see and hear from the other that we are desired deeply. Um, and that also sexually, including that, that, they, that we are desired sexually. So, um, in, in giving examples, this is a very common dynamic. Something like, like this w- was going on with, with us working in, uh, with, in practice with that. And um, and so, okay, so there's this imbalance right now, and, and just giving myself, um, uh, actually helped by the imaginal figure, the okayness, the, the permission to feel and allow this wanting. I want uh, her, in this case there was the male, female um, in, in, in the image, and um, along, you know, the sort of biological gender lines, um, and I want her to want me. I want to see and hear that she wants me, that she wants to let me in, and that means let me in heart and soul and physically as well, that she wants to open her, her body to me, um, in you know, erotically, sexually. Um, and the first thing was just kind of being encouraged by, by, by 
by the imaginal figure to, to, that it's really okay to feel that and to allow that feeling. And that encouragement um, and, and allowing myself to do that actually liberated a lot of Im- images there. And so the whole thing became very fecund as sort of imaginal territory, a lot of images quite quite quickly. And um, it was actually interesting. I was um, on my way teaching somewhere as all this was. I was sort of sitting on the train. It was quite a long train journey and working um, with, with these images on, on the train and going to the station and different. And so on and off in that way. And there was a liberation of all these images so from the allowing, from the feeling into that feeling, slightly you know, uncomfortable feeling, but actually allowing it. And, uh, and liberation of images and... And then at some point, tremendous energy infused my whole body, the energy body with this. And the, the image was of roaring, like I was roaring, like a lion roars, and bellowing fire, the way a, a dragon bellows fire. So a lot of energy and, and, and power in this. Bellowing fire, and in fact, I became flame. I became a being of flames. Um, a lot of, as I say, energy and power felt. But still in regards to the original... Um, imaginal sense of the situation, um, still, despite all the energy and power, I realize I still need to be granted um, admission, if you like. She still needs to uh, let me, and she still needs to say to me, I, or I felt, I, I, I want you inside me, I want to let you in, etc. This power was not the kind that would force that. And... Uh, so it was tremendous power, yet it didn't use it. And in fact, you can't force, I mean, in any situation, you can't force someone to want you um, that way, to want to let you in heart and soul and body. So there was this interesting mixture at the same time. that There was this tremendous power that I felt, roaring and bellowing fire, and very... Um, uh, a lot of energy in the body at the same time as recognizing a kind of no matter how powerful that felt there was also this dependency i am still in in the image there i'm still dependent on uh, her on this imaginal figure um communicating to me granting me admission and somehow in all that that and, and so there was that that um double double sort of um constellation existing, the, the power along with the sense of tremendous power and dependency at the same time, like an almost opposites um, coalescing there mi- or rather mixing, co-constellating and um, and also the sense as I, as I tuned in to the imaginal figure there was the sense, the recognition that she did grant me admission she did want uh want me that way in those ways and so all this was happening the power the recognition of dependency and as i tuned into her image more um the recognition that um she did grant me that and she did want me and then this uh what happened then was that there was a cosmopoesis in the sense that the the flame that i was um i found myself in a world of flames okay so this is a a very powerful perception is extremely subtle, and interesting was happening on 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 the train. Um, so I'm still aware of you know who's sitting next to me and opposite me and and all that and what's out the window. But at the same time, there's like a level of perception, uh, subtle but very powerful, of a world of flames. And now this is not a hell realm at all. Where you describe realm uh, hell realms of you know burning and all that. Not at all, felt 
very wondrous, very uh, beautiful. Each thing, in a way, was a flame. Uh, a kind of essence of each thing was a flame. And fire, flame, is eros. So each thing was felt to be uh, kind of expressing its own eros, its, uh, as flame, as fire. And sensing into that, each thing, each being, and the world as a whole, uh, its eros, its desire, was that it wanted me to love it. The eros that I was um, sensing into there was each thing, each being, and the world as a whole, desired, it wanted me to love it. The world, this world of flames, or the world that I now saw, because it was the same world, um, was erotic in essence, including the sexual, but not necessarily just the sexual at all. Um, It wanted uh, each thing, each being, and the world as a whole wanted, wanted me to love it. And in a way, recognizing that as human beings, um, this is this kind of altered mystical perception. We can feel that call, not just from the beings, the animate beings of the world, but from the, the, the so-called inanimate nature and the things of the world. And so in myself, um, I felt the eros, the, the des- I felt the desire to respond to this wanting in things, this wanting um, that things were expressing. And I felt that very physically. I felt it in my tongue, actually, predominantly in my tongue, in my mouth, in my genitals, in my hands, in my whole body was involved in a sense. And as as sort of just feeling that and taking this, and you know, this was happening over some time and really giving a lot of very sensitive, delicate attention to it and opening and working with it. Um, I also felt that the eros... Um, the eros that I was feeling was um, the eros of the divine. In other words, this was the God's, if you like, or Buddha nature's desire to uh, penetrate. Because I felt it as a as a as a kind of wanting to penetrate, if you like, um, all things. This is very again sexual there. So the movement there was more quote, masculine, um, as opposed to the movement of opening and receiving, which could could have been both or, or either. Um, so this is different. The divine's desire to penetrate all things, to sexually penetrate all things. What does this mean? It's an imaginal perception. It's not the same as the divine pervading all things with its essence, its oneness of um, beingness or love or awareness. It's something much more particular there. Um, all the wanting here, the wanting uh, that belong to things, they're wanting to be loved, um, and the wanting that was coming through me to respond to that and to penetrate, all was seen um, or or evolved through the imaginal uh, work to seem to have divine dimensions. And I'm reminded of somewhere Thomas Aquinas, St. Thomas Aquinas wrote, um, all beauty yearns to be seen. All beauty yearns to be seen. And I don't know, I don't know enough about him or what he meant, but um, by that. But here is a sense of opening to a mystical or imaginal perception, very particular, where each thing, each being, and and the world uh, wants its its beauty to be seen, to be celebrated, to be uh, um, loved, to have that erotic connection. 
and in a way for that to penetrate it, etc. So very particular kinds of um, cosmopoesis or, or opening there. And okay, so another example. Sometimes we might be um, again might be pure so-called intrapsychic Im- Im- um, image, or uh, actually someone we we are in in a certain relationship to, um, and. Uh, as I said before, eros gives rise to, actually supports and nourishes an increase in the way we love, um, in the ways that we love the beloved other. An increase also, it supports an increase of the, the ways and the depths and the breadths in which we appreciate, in which we sense and see and feel their beauties, um, plural, and their divinity. So eros opens all this because of what we've all been all of what we've been talking about, the Eurosychologos dynamic. So that in relation to this, let's say, person in, in one's life where it's um, where we have this kind of relationship, um, the, the Eros there, if it's allowed, can actually start to um, come, I love your body. But it's actually what that, that also begins to have a fullness. Um, I love your bones. I love your blood. I love your veins. I love your kidneys. I love, it's, it's got this whole other... Um, visceral dimension and eventually I love all your matter I love all the matter that is you so to speak Um, and so the the eros is is, um, if you like moving there to the the realm of matter Um, and it can do this in all kinds of ways so what can happen there the way the soul making um, infuses and spills over into the perception of matters so many possibilities but in this case could could then be um, that one one feels that eros open up that um, relationship with the matter of the the, the the beloved other and then that spreads into the world again I'm just talking about cosmopoesis here spreads to a love for all matter but the perception of that matter is not matter as a quantum physicist would uh, conceive it um, in that kind of way. It's not even um, divine as a sort of emanation of light. or It's matter just as commonly experienced as we tend to think of this sort of stuff that we don't really think much about, um, ponder what it is. We just kind of bump into it and assume uh, what every other modernist assumes that's our experience of it. So a love for all matter um, that way. And again, this kind of thing, if it opens up, you might check. Um, it's it's often, often easier for this cosmopoesis, this love of matter, to spread to other living matter, um, uh, things in nature and animals and trees and grass and uh, whatever. Um, but I remember experiencing this and actually having... Um, some bones in front of where I was meditating and um, so you could see how it spread um, not quite so easily as it did to living matter but it spread almost as easily to the bones because they were once living there they were organic and then a little more difficult to spread but still possible to plastic things that were around so it spreads to all matter uh, but not in a way that's uh, linked with or dependent on them providing me with pleasant vedana. Um, it, it's not. It didn't seem. It might be easier with that at first, but it it doesn't have to be actually linked with that at all, or even being conventionally beautiful. Because the whole thing started. We don't usually think of 
veins and livers as as beautiful in that sense. Um, so, but there was this loving love for all matter, independent of whether it was conventionally quite beautiful or or whether it was providing me with pleasant pain. At other times, this love um, and appreciation for the body um, uh, of of another, um, or just the cosmopoesis that comes in. Um, sorry, the the the, uh, the the sense of the imaginal other um, might spread to a cosmopoesis, that cosmopoesis that's much more kind of ethereal in its dimensions. Um, so, for example, I mean, so many possibilities here. But for example. Um, one might perceive the world around one, the trees, the grass, whatever it is, the buildings, and have the perception um, that uh, it's as if uh, light or lights are shining through and into this world of matter, or that this this matter and this world is somehow a reflection or a refraction of the light um, of higher levels, if you like, of other worlds, if you like. But in a way that doesn't really uh, at all need, and often it won't, it diminish this world as somehow um, uh, less than or inferior or uh, not valuable, this world and these appearances of, of every day, but rather giving them beauty, giving them uh, other dimensions of sacredness through the light that comes through them, comes through to them. And through them, so all kinds of possibilities, you know. Um, and again, one might one might be working um, uh, with with an erotic image uh, of a beloved other, and one might have the this sort of wider sense of um, uh, sexual erotics pervading the image, uh, uh, constellating the image, and maybe we have, like we've alluded to already, the the whole body is penetrated and independent of whether you're um, biologically male or female, whatever, um, the whole body can be penetrated by the imaginal other or penetrate the imaginal um, other. The whole body, the whole being is somehow entered um, or uh, and or um, one can be devoured by the, the deity or by the god. So all one's um, flesh and bones, imaginal flesh and bones is devoured, or one devours this this imaginal figure. All these possibilities and permutations. Um, excuse me. Um, and and again, it can it they can give rise if we dwell. Excuse me, in the meditation um, with with these kind of things and work with them, as I said, sensitively and 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 with the, with the mindfulness there, then. Uh, they can spread sometimes into a cosmopoesis, and it might be, for instance, the, the cosmos is is mystically devouring me; it's eating me. And this, you know, might sound to someone like, "Oh, that's terrible," um, but actually can feel, you know, really wonderful. And the sense of being participating in some kind of mystical dimension of the the kind of um, being or process of the cosmos um, we, we can say you know this this physical body will dissolve etc and eventually have to in Buddhist language give my aggregates back to the universe um, this is something different there's a kind of uh, imaginal mystical perception that the cosmos is eternally 
eating me, mystically eating me, and I'm participating in something there at some level, mystical level of being. Or, as I said, the, the cosmopoiesis might be that I somehow am devouring the cosmos. What does this mean? Because, again, you know, in some ways I do devour at least part of the cosmos, um, organically and in ideas. and all. So that's all true. It's giving this other dimension, expanding that, those kinds of ideas into other, more mystical, more um, hard-to-articulate dimensions. And it might be that it moves um, back and forth between being devoured and devouring the cosmos, being devoured by the cosmos and devouring the cosmos, maybe even back and forth very quickly, maybe even in some completely illogical way, uh, simultaneously the, 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 the two are happening. The cosmos is devouring me, and I am devouring the cosmos. Of course, again, at a material level, we can see, well, there's a certain truth in that. Oh, there's so many possibilities here. So I just want to really, partly what I'm wanting to do is just open up the sense of just just how much is possible. Um, uh, one, one more. Um, where I was in meditation and uh, an imaginal figure, um, uh, beautiful, she came and kissed my heart and my torso gently. Um, and just feeling the resonances of that, and in this case, actually, it did um, progress to uh, to more se- sexual imagery, and um, but again, there it stayed at a very specific sexual image, and really receiving from her in the image, and dwelling with that, and feeling it, and receiving um, through that um, sexual interaction and the sexual love there, receiving from her so much tenderness. Um, what this imaginal figure was Im- imbuing um, uh, her sexual love with so much ten- tenderness, and she wanted, it seemed to me as I fell into it, she wanted out of love, out of pure love, to give me pleasure. So... Um, when when working with that in the meditation, and this is uh, what's tuned into her love and this wanting to to give me pleasure. This is some becomes a kind of wavelength or dimension of the image, very specific and subtle. The, the tuning there, and needed you know again to feel the whole energy body, and open to the pleasure there. So again, this is you know. Um, well, actually, it's not that hard to do, but it's not, you know, uh, it, it takes the kind of skills that we've been, you know, talking about developing. But it's very specific, very subtle tuning, whole energy body involved, and, and the ability to open to that. And out of that, and you probably are not surprised at this point, samadhi came. So I could have this, um, y- you know, possibility, kind of fork in the road there. You can go just into some kind of jhana there of the samadhi and leave the image behind or stay with the image and enjoy the pleasure of the samadhi not you know mixed or or let it spread a little bit and and it was a third one that I chose because what happened was there was a sense um just dipping into the samadhi bit and then the sense of a heavenly realm um opening up actually rather it was this world that I was in the room that I was in became a heavenly realm infused with divine eros. That was the sense that I was, the world was transubstantiated, transformed, transubstantiated is a better word, into um, a 
a heavenly realm infused with divine eros. And I, so I had this sense, and, and even as I say it now, it's like, what, what does that mean? So even then, part of the mind was like, what does it mean when I have that sense? In, in some ways, it was a vague sense. Um, in other ways, it was extremely precise and, and very, very subtle, but it was a sense, it was palpable. Um, a perception, an imaginal perception of of this world, this room and and the surroundings that I was in outside, etc. And in this imaginal perception, in this cosmopoesis, Eros was woven into the cosmos. The cosmos uh, was felt seen to be a garden of Eros, a garden of delight. Um, and with all that, of course, Eros was right. There was something fundamentally, profoundly right about Eros. Um, it it had its it has its basic, beautiful, divine place in the scheme of things in the cosmos, actually permeating the cosmos. And Eros is divine in that in that imaginal perception that opened up. Eros is divine. And all this, it was a tremendous amount of delight and sense of beauty, inner and outer, and a lot of joy. And the sense was really a profound gift, that all of this was gift. The eros was gift, and the cosmos was gift. So the whole cosmos was experienced in such a beautiful way as as gift, as erotic gift. Um, so you can see how that cosmopoiesis mirrors, uh, or rather has its seeds in the initial image. And again, I was sort of, because I've been used to some of this before already and was playing with it, was playing then as I opened my eyes and moved around with the equality of perception, if it applied just as easily to, say, plastic or the sound of the plane overhead, um, uh, just as easily to those kind of things, unpleasant Vedna or man-made, not necessarily um, aesthetically pleasing artifacts, um, functional things, um, if it applied as equally to those as it did to the beautiful trees and, and, and the sky and, and all that. There's quite a bit more to this. So one, and what, this is interesting, one of the... So I was playing with that equality thing just to get a sense. Um, and then dipping in and out. And, and what I noticed was um, at a stage of this perception opening, this cosmopoetic perception opening, um, there was a stage where uh, I felt that... Um, it was the divine purpose of the cosmos um, to express eros to me, to love me and give me delight. So I was, um, uh, if you like, a graced recipient of divine eros. Uh, now, at the very same time, I knew it wasn't just me. It, it applied to everyone else. It was just a matter of uh, people opening to that perception, so I was not in any way singled out there, uh, or had any sense of being special, um, or different than other people. But there was a sense of, like, you know, and again, it doesn't make sense rationally, and it's not. Um, it was it was image as image, seeing image as image, holding it, so holding these perceptions, um, so that we know image as image. We're not rarefying them. We're not clunking down on them as, as a sort of truth. Um, but yet we're still holding them so that they can have tremendous power. Um, so it's neither dismissing nor um, grabbing at and reifying, okay? And claiming a truth there. Um, but that was just a stage, because it, it 
you know, another part of my mind was don't be ridiculous, you know, but um, somehow holding this in a kind of middle way that they can have tremendous power and and um, efficacy in in all kinds of directions for the being, for the insight, for the uh, um, understanding, for the perception. Well, that was just a stage, and eventually it just um, moved to a sort of more general sense of the cosmos being infused with and expressing um, eros. Uh, so the cosmos is erotic. And again, with all this, there was a sense of dimensionality to the cosmos, as if the cosmos has, if you like, different dimensions. So later, I think it was the same day, and I was on retreat at the time, um, I sat down and there was um, to meditate, and there was again tremendous power um, and expansion. The energy body really expanding and feeling very um, imbued with energy and power. And following that, letting it constellate an image of the self of the energy body, it felt like um, I had become imaginally a, a wrathful deity. If you know those Tibetan images of Yamantaka and um, well, there's lots of them, but um, a wrathful deity or or um, a divine beast, a bestial deity. And so again, for me, there's roaring and waves of energy passing through the imaginal body. So it wasn't actually roaring. No one would have heard anything. But this is, this is the imaginal sense, and it really felt very... Um, palpable and strong in, in the physical body. It felt very, very good, um, This this th- th- what was going on there with the energy body and the imaginal body. And then coming back to the imaginal figure that I was um, working with earlier, that I described, um, this uh, divine beast, wrathful deity, um, with a subtle gesture in the image, um, claimed her. It 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 uh, made clear through 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 a certain gesture of the body um, its erotic claim on her. You are mine, um, and so there's a desire there. There was there was my desire there, my my um, sexual and erotic desire, but it also seemed again. It's like tuning in, noticing what's happening. Um, with the image, what else is in the image? So there was a desire, yes, but also the sense that this claiming, this my claiming of this of her of this imaginal figure was, so to speak, already happening. So it's a, a desire and an act to, to to do something, and it expresses desire. But this claiming and this desire was already happening. It's not so much what I or this divine beast wants, but more that it's already flowing from me, from this imaginal self, the divine beast, is flowing to her eternally, or rather timelessly, or as um, I think Henri Corbin used to say, in hierophanic time, in sacred time. There's a time that doesn't progress, it's almost like discrete, timeless moments or images. So it's already flowing. This movement of claiming um, was all the, the sense was as I as I fell in uh, and get gain the sense of what's actually pregnant in this image. And then and then a dimension of the image reveals itself, which is this hierophanic dimension we've touched on this before. The desire there was to give her pleasure. 
Um, so the, again, this, the desire then mirrors uh, her wanting to give me pleasure before, and now it's me desiring to give her pleasures. And I could see that the imaginal figure, she enjoys being claimed. She enjoys me um, gesturing in a way of communicating, you're mine. Um, so again, all this could sound, uh, you know, like it's ego or this or that. It, it, um, far, far from it. There's something so light and so beautiful and sacred fl- flowing through it. So it feels very good um, in the body, and um, again, uh, body sort of become flames on and off that moved and um, back and forth. And again, I went outside and. Um, and again, the cosmos experienced as erotic. Uh, I'm in uh, a heavenly realm where the cosmos is, by nature, in its essence, at one dimension, erotic. It's an erotic cosmos. Um, but in this case, um, I was not so much the recipient. So in the cosmopoetic um, perception of self and the world or the cosmos, I was not so much the recipient. Rather, it was my role the role of this imaginal self, or the imaginal role of self, um, my role and my ability to let Eros flow through me, to flow from me to others, to create beauty in that way, and to give delight and to give pleasure through that. And again, um, not that that was unique to me, it was clear to me that's everyone's role and ability. Um, But what's unique is the ways in which um, each of us do that. So again, you can you can see how the imaginal self interfaces or spills over, shades over into the into the lived, actually physically manifested self. Because I could say that about my life, um, and I'm sure everyone could say that about their life. It's that, but but the perception of that gets a whole other. Um, dimensionality and and beauty to it through the imaginal dimension of that opening up gets this profundity, breadth, richness, complication, sacredness to it. Uh, I think later, still the same day or the next day, I can't remember, but um, the same couple in in the imaginal meditation and really focusing then on our love not so much her giving me pleasure out of love or me desiring to give her pleasure or claim her out of love um but our love the two of us in sort of mutual um a dance of love of eros of of delight if you like and when i went uh, when I look around me, then the cosmos after that is again infused with eros, um, and our dance, our loving, is, if you like, mirroring or echoing um, or infused with the divine cosmic eros. And this is something that can happen between two people, two actual people in their relationship, if if um, they allow the um, soul-making dynamic to expand the sense of what's happening in actual relationship. Um, but you can see in the of this little three-part um, uh, imaginal practice I've just described, um, when I the focus was more on the on her on the imaginal figure's um, actions and qualities, um, then. 
um, I felt the self to be the recipient of that in the cosmopolises. It was reflecting the um, actual imaginal uh, perception in the, in the in the narrower image, and when I lost the cosmopoetic perception, I could um, regain it by focusing on that aspect of the original image of her um, wanting uh, to 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 communicate love um, to me through through the sexual through. Uh, through the erotic, and um, that focusing on that in the image brought back the cosmopoe that particular cosmopoesis of receiving cosmic love, divine love. Um, in the second little part there, um, the focus was on myself and the, the power and the energy and the d- divine beast. They're giving, um, giving her pleasure again with the eros and the love, and then and then the cosmopoesis led to. Um, a sense of that in its cosmic um, place of of my self in as a channel, if you like, for um, the the divine's giving or outpouring through me uh, was was what characterized the cosmopoesis. And again, if you lose it, if I lost it, I could focus back on that initial image, and the cosmopoesis comes back just a little bit, and the cosmopoesis comes back. Um, and in the last part, when it's more mutual, it's like the us, the our, our back and forth and flow of love together. Um, then uh, again, the cosmopoesis there was was um, reflecting that kind of balance, that kind of equality, if you like. <clears throat> So we can see, we can begin to see the potential here of what it can open up in perception um, if we allow Eros to um, uh, expand, to, 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 to have uh, and inseminate fully the, the whole dynamic structure of the Eros Psyche Logos and that whole movement, the whole soul-making movement. And partly, again, I'm using these um, uh, particular examples, um, sexual examples, and just some of them, you know, I'm aware, devouring and all this, it sounds quite dark and claiming. And, and some people, um, you know, would, would be, you know, cautious for different reasons around that. Um, but I really want to say, um, first of all, as I said um, in the other talk, there's a whole range here. And a lot of the even sexual erotic is not dark at all. It's very, very light and gentle or whatever. So there's a whole range. Um But uh, yes, and to, to very not just of so-called darkness, but also just of what sort of more um, kind of straightforward or normal or anatomically plausible and, and all that, you know, to really quite far out imagery and, and stuff. So the, really, that whole range is open. But um, you know, within that, to trust um, if something seems darker. Um, or stranger. It's not um, what's happening here um, is not disrespectful um, to the imaginal figure, or even if the imaginal figure is actually an other person. It's not disrespectful um, whom you have that kind of relationship with. Um, it's not lacking in love. You can notice this. You can feel it. Is it really disrespectful? Don't buy just the first thing that the mind tells you. Is it really lacking in love? Is it really an objectification of that other person? To me, objectification means I don't... I've somehow 
shrunk this person down to not see the totality of the other's being. But have a look if this comes up. You know, dare to have a look. Is it, is it that? Is it lacking in respect, in love? Is it an objectification? Do, no, you'll see actually that there, most often that, that involves a totality and respect and love is there. It's not, neither is it out of control and neither does it um, <coughs> increase defilement. And you can feel in all this, even in the very dark, there's, there's a kind of, kinds of sacredness and holiness that are palpable there. So again, as I say, the whole movement here um, with Eros is that it, it opens up the range of sacrednesses that we can um, feel and know uh, and experience for ourselves firsthand in um, in the woven into the cosmos, woven into our being and others, and uh, in ways that make a difference to our life, make a profound difference. <coughs> so we said, just to recap a little bit, um, the the soul-making dynamic, the expansion, fertilization, insemination, deepening, enriching, widening, of eros psyche and logos, the mutual movement there, mutual expansion, um, needs to flow, um, or will flow, if it's unimpeded in lots in all these different directions. So it will flow um, not just towards the beloved other, the object, the imaginal erotic object, but also to back towards the self, so to speak, and the imaginal self, and amplifying that. Um, and also towards the, the sense of eros itself. Um, now I, I, you know, so we have this phrase, uh, falling in love, falling in love, and why are we falling in, or rather what does it mean? Well, I wonder where that expression came from, to fall in love. There's something uncontrollable about falling, um, and um, it may be, you know, I don't know, but one way of looking at it is that um, what's happening here in the expansion of the sense of the other and the uh, expansion of the sense of the self and of the eros itself, um, and even of the world. Um, as we said, the soul-making dynamic will move in all these directions and expand them all, but it doesn't have a limit. So we take the infinite, the pothos will just keep expanding this, potentially. And maybe falling in love, that's what we're feeling. We're feeling like... Um, there's a kind of open-ended movement and we're not even sure who we are anymore because it's just being opened into a kind of space in which it, 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 uh, it keeps opening and the other too um, and, the, and perhaps the, the sense of love itself of our sense of love of Eros is also open and it doesn't seem to be landing anywhere and it's not stopping anywhere because the, the soul-making, the erotic dynamic is just keeps opening and that feeling um, uh, has this kind of um, bottomless feeling or, or limitless feeling to it. So maybe, I don't know, maybe that's uh, part of what happens when we say I'm falling in love, I'm falling in love with you. Um, but there's another dimension here which may or may not happen. Um, actually, all of this may or may not happen in, in actual life, as we'll come back to, like what what blocks this kind of infinite and um, comprehensive, potentially infinite, potentially comprehensive movement of the soul-making dynamic. Because here, as I said uh, several times now, it's possible also that the sense of Eros 
is seen and felt erotically and given imaginal dimensions so that, for example, eventually um, we, we feel something like a divine, a divinity of eros, or divine, it's divine eros that infuses the cosmos. My eros, this eros that I feel um, in me, coming from me, is divine, or it mirrors the divine eros, or it comes from um, the divinity, the Buddha nature, God, whatever you want to call it. The archetypes. Um, so all this can be there, and as I said again, recapping, there's infin- an infinity of possibilities if the soul-making dynamic is not hindered, blocked in any of its um, potential directions and movements and unfoldings. Then there are infinite res- uh, possibilities with respect to uh, the self, the sense of the self, the image of the self the conception of the self, with respect to the other, the beloved other, of course, with respect to the world, and with respect to Eros itself. That fourfold um, co-constellated aspect, self, other, world, Eros, each of them has infinite possibilities if the soul-making dynamic is allowed its natural expansion, deepening, movement, fertilization. So the image... And the idea of each of these, self, other, world, and eros, the image and idea, the psyche and the logos of each of these, and all of these, is expanded. So, my eros is uh, mirroring the divine eros. That's both an image, it's an imaginal sense, and it's a, an idea, a logos. So you can see how in regard to each of these, if Eros gets going, if the erotic movement gets going, Psyche and Logos, they touch everything. Um, And everything involved in that constellation, self, other, world, Eros, but also the notion of Psyche itself, the notion of what the soul is and what an image is, gets also um, expanded, enriched, deepened, amplified. And even the, um, the image and the idea of ideas. In other words, the, the psyche and the logos of logos. So, for example, we can feel, um, we can sense, um, through as, as this whole soul-making movement happens, that we are, our mind is, through, through image and through idea, uh, through images and through ideas, is participating in the divine mind, the divine logos, if you like. So again, this is a an image, but it's also an idea, isn't it? Um, or that what comes to us through image, um, or through again through idea, through creative ideas, through concepts, um, is a manifestation of the world soul, of the if you like the soul making process of the cosmos. So these are both um, images and ideas, um, but when they're not abstract ideas. Again, we're, we're entertaining them, we're feeling them, we're um, plugging into them, if you like, in ways that really galvanize and catalyze and have a, have a tremendous effect on the being, on the perception, on the um, ways of looking, on the energy body, on the soulfulness. So we're not, when, we, when we talk about logos, we don't mean, as I said, I think earlier, we don't mean something abstract. We mean an idea that finds its way into the way of looking, that is imbuing the way of looking, and because where everything, the whole being is, is involved, the body, the soul, 
the perception, the intellect, etc. These ideas are, are not abstract. But the very idea of ideas, the very, if you like, psyche and logos of logos, the image and idea of image and idea and soul and mind starts to also um, uh, get amplified, enriched, deepened, given dimensionality, etc. So the eros-psyche-logos dynamic, soul-making dynamic, will also expand, complicate, deepen, widen um, the definitions we have of eros, of psyche or soul, and also of logos, of mind. And in all this, you know, in in describing cosmopoiesis, you know, um, we might start with... uh, Eros in relation to an imaginal figure, um, but if we work with it, if we allow it, actually it brings an erotic um, relationship with nature. So that the, again, the eros spreads, so the imaginal spreads to nature in the cosmopoiesis. But there's also wrapped up in that because all these things are interconnected. Where there's eros, there's psyche. Where there's image, uh, where there's eros, there's image. Where there's imo- image, there's eros. And we start to feel when we have, when as that um, erotic relationship with nature starts to get supported and opened and nourished and and ignited, um, then the eros and the love and reverence that are part of that in relation to nature and the things of nature, animals and trees and all that, um, we quite a lot begins to open up in terms of our our. our perceptions um, of of nature so we might you know we, we tend to have um, in our modernist cultures and you know um, maybe even only human beings have intelligence some animals have a very limited intelligence but um, it stops at animals um, but maybe through this erotic relationship with nature we begin to perceive um, in the cosmopoiesis we begin to perceive other kinds of let's call it intelligence, other kinds of knowing um, what is the intelligence of a tree. And I don't just mean the, um, you know, the biochemical um, intelligence of the way it works in photosynthesis and all that, how clever, or the intelligence of evolution. What's the intelligence of a tree? What's the communication of a tree or stones? So something happens in the erotic movement um, beginning to infuse our relationship with nature, something happens. We perceive other kinds of intelligence. I'm not going to say much about that right now. Um, We also uh, open up for us in that other ways of knowing. So uh, also in terms of intelligence is open up. So our whole being is um, involved in what intelligence means. My friend says, it's like my ovaries know. There's an intelligence in my ovaries. Or or in, in the image, the tongue is connecting with maybe certain um, body parts of of, uh, of of an image of another or something. And there's certain certain communication through the tongue, a certain in, um, information, if you like, that's being transmitted um, and received by the tongue. The whole body is involved in in the imaginal process and in the erotic process. More and more so. We'll come back to this. Sometimes we'll say, um, your three centers, 
um, need to be involved. Your your belly, your heart, and your head. Um, and we'll come back to that. But in in a way, so your belly means your body, and certainly your 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 sex, sexual um, uh, you know organs and and that whole sexual dimension of your body and the energy. Um, and your heart center, meaning your emotionality and your affect and your love <coughs> and whatever other emotions are going there. And also your head. You know, we talked about logos and the importance of that. Sometimes the shorthand saying all your three centers need to be involved, but actually it's the whole being. Every dimension of our being, every dimension of the mind, every dimension of the soul, of the heart and of the body opens up in ways that we uh, might not expect just because that's what the, that's what the soul making dynamic does that's what your psyche logos dynamic does as it expands and fertilizes more and more in a nutshell eros as i said uh, supports opens um, ignites spreads deepens widens our sense senses, plural, of sacredness. In all domains, in all kinds of areas, in all perceptions, and in all kinds of particularities that we wouldn't even have maybe noticed before. And the kinds of sacredness are, um, uh, if you like, also co-constellated. So the kind of eros is, uh, sorry, the kind of sense of divinity is co-constellated with that other um, four-part co-constellation self, other, eros, world. We could add also the sense of divinity there. It's also co-constellated with self, with the sense of self, of other, of world, of eros. Or even the sense of no divinity. A flat universe is still a kind of constellation. When we have that kind of sense of let's call it no divinity, um, then there's a certain kind of sense of self because only a certain amount is allowed, a certain kind of perception and idea of the other, a certain kind of perception and idea of the world, and a certain kind of perception and idea of, of um, any eros or desire that might arise. So these five actually are co-constellated together. Maybe I'll just finish with something and I'll come back to you later and just put it in now to seed something. I hope it's not too much. Um, Jung wrote in his um, memoirs, um, we are in the deepest sense the victims and instruments of cosmogonic love. Cosmogon. He said in another place, I think he said, Eros is a cosmogonos. That's a Greek, fancy Greek word. Um, cosmogonos means something that um, uh, generates, gonos, generate, or gonad. It's like something that gives rise to, to the cosmos. So again, you get these myths that saying Eros, um, or something like that, gives rise to the cosmos. But we can see that um, in our actual, in the phenomenology of our actual experience. That Eros opens up it gives birth to the world. It gives birth to the sense of the self, or different senses of self, other, world, um, and eros, and cosmopoesis, and also of divinity. So, so the eros 
brings with it, or rather puts into motion, uh, a cosmos birthing process, actually birthing of many cosmoses, if you like, through, um, because there's this infinity there. And, um, you know, seeing our eros as divine, as I said, as gods, as divinities, as, as the Buddha nature's eros manifesting through us, is a certain um, view of divinity uh, there, and of eros. And so all, all of that, again, you can see how it const- then with the self is, and the world is, is constellated according to, to that. They all this co constellates each other in the in the soul making dynamic. What that means then is also that the kinds of divinity that are able um, that we are able to open to as perceptions, as actual experiences, are also infinite. Because that five point uh, you know co constellation self, other world, eros, divinity um, is infinite in its potential because the eros psyche logos dynamic is infinite in its potential. So the kinds of divinity are endless. The kinds of experiences of divinity, of perceptions, of senses of divinity are actually endless. We're going to come back to this. As I said, I'm just throwing it out now. Um, they might be vague, but the perception and the conceptions of divinity are absolutely, potentially infinite and varied. And that takes us out of um, out of the whole realm of dogma, either secular dogma or religious dogma. Um, there is the whole field, including the field of the exploration of what divinity might mean, becomes infinite in its potential. Is potentially infinite, um, is an infinitely, if you like, large and expanding playground for us, for the soul, for soul making. We'll come back to Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.